Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation together as a group because this is Wednesday of our group learning program, where on Sunday we go through a talk in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana, and we go each week, we do a different chapter on Sunday. And this week we're in chapter 9. This Sunday we'll be doing chapter 10, which is titled, What is Merit? But on Wednesdays, we take time to do breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, or Buddhist chanting. And today is time to do loving kindness meditation. And about a week and a half ago, we explored the three poisons or the three unwholesome roots, the three fires. And this helps a practitioner to understand at a certain level of detail, what's the real problems in the unenlightened mind and what holds us back from experiencing this enlightened mind. Well, in that talk, we discussed craving, anger, and ignorance, or greed, hatred, and delusion. And we discussed not only the problems, but we discussed the antidotes or the remedies of how to fix this in the unenlightened mind so that the mind can eradicate the three poisons, antidoting it with the solutions, or eliminating the three unwholesome roots and replacing it with the three wholesome roots. And last week during our Wednesday session, which was breathing mindfulness meditation, I reminded you guys about craving, desire, attachment, that first poison, because breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity is the exact antidote for that particular poison in the mind. And a practitioner would need to be practicing those on a consistent basis in order to build up their practice and antidote this craving, desire, attachment in the mind, because that's what causes discontentedness. It's craving, desire, attachment that's causing the sadness, the frustration, the irritation, the annoyance, the guilt, the shame, the fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, all of these discontent feelings in the mind are coming from craving, desire, attachment. So that's why it's important for a practitioner to focus on developing their breathing mindfulness meditation practice and having a regular practice of generosity giving and sharing with your friends, with your family, with strangers, with other people around you. So that's a core part of the practice. And there's other aspects of how to eliminate craving, desire, attachment from the mind that we're going to get into when we talk about chapter 12 in this program. So that's a few weeks from now. But today, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation, 
which is part of the antidote for that second poison of anger, hatred, and ill will. So what I would like to do is use some visual aids to help remind you of what this poison is, and that way we can actually discuss the antidote and connect it directly to what we're teaching today. So this second poison in the mind is called anger, hatred, or ill will. And there's oftentimes hostility, aggression, resentment. We also call this aversion. This is essentially where the mind is pushing away any painful feelings. See, that first poison of craving, desire, attachment is where the mind is longing for something with a strong eagerness. And it's longing for pleasant feelings. And if it gets the objects of its affection, then it experiences happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. And those are pleasant feelings and the mind's chasing after the objects of its affection. But this is actually a problem for the mind because it's chasing after the objects of its affection and those things aren't permanent. So therefore it can't maintain this pleasant feelings of happiness, excitement, and elation permanently. And then also when the mind's craving and it's chasing after what it wants, oftentimes it doesn't get what it wants and therefore it experiences painful feelings sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, all these painful feelings that come up in the mind. And when it does, the unenlightened mind falsely attributes what's actually creating the painful feelings to some external thing, typically. The practitioner will try to push that painful feeling away. This is what we call aversion. The Pushing away of the painful feelings is a, the way that the unenlightened mind falsely attributes what it's experiencing to something external typically. So if, say, you have a life partner or a child and you want them to do something for you and you have this craving desire attachment, you're chasing and you're wanting them to do something for you. And if they do it the way you ask, then you get happy and you get excited, you get elated and you, you feel all these pleasant feelings. But if you ask them to do something and they don't do it, meaning you don't get the object of your affection, they don't take out the trash, they don't bring you home a certain food item that you've asked for, maybe they don't get home at a certain time that you've asked them to come home, any number of things that you might ask of your life partner or your child, if they do what you ask them, you get these pleasant feelings. But if they don't do what you ask, you experience these painful feelings. Well, the problem isn't that your life partner or your child didn't do what you asked because they can't permanently do everything you ask. It's not possible because of impermanence. But what happens is the unenlightened mind falsely attributes this painful feeling of anger or sadness or frustration to the individual or to them not actually doing what you asked. And this is where the mind can become hostile and aggressive or resentful. And then we oftentimes push people away out of our life. And this is called aversion, where the mind is averse to painful feelings. And because the mind isn't practicing right view, 
the unenlightened mind doesn't realize that it's actually causing its own discontentedness, it attributes that sadness or anger or frustration to your life partner or to your children. And because of that, it's going to get angry or hostile. And then the intentions and the speech and the actions start coming out and we damage our relationships because we're falsely attributing this anger or this resentment or this hostility to that individual thinking that they're the ones who caused it because you asked them to do something and they didn't do it. Therefore, it's their fault that you're angry. That's how the unenlightened mind thinks. But this is actually the ignorance or the delusion or the confusion of the unenlightened mind. Because the mind doesn't understand craving, desire, attachment, the mind doesn't understand that it's actually longing for your life partner or your child to do something for you and you want it with a strong eagerness. And the unenlightened mind doesn't understand impermanence that your life partner or child can't do things permanently the way that you ask them to. You can request, you can ask, you can suggest, but ultimately it's up to them whether they do it or not because they are their own being and they have their own task and their own things and it might slip their mind or they might just forget or they might get sidetracked with something else. So when we observe that they didn't do what we ask, that's where the anger and frustration and irritation arises. And if a practitioner allows that to pollute the mind, that's where it can come into your intentions, your speech and your actions. And now you're in a argument with the person blaming them for not doing what you asked. And now they're arguing with you because it just slipped their mind or, you know, something impermanent happened along the way and they weren't able to fulfill the object of your desire. So that first poison in the antidote is training the mind to let go and not hold things so tightly. But what this poison is all about and what this antidote is about is to train the mind to have a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and not having judgment of someone being good or bad and just practicing being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. But oftentimes that's easier said than done. If you understand the Eightfold Path and you understand these different poisons and you've got a really well practice of breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity and loving kindness meditation and loving kindness going on, then you know, you're know you further along the path and, and you see that for what it is and you see true reality. But in order to get there where you don't get hostile and angry and aggressive with people, you are going to need to train the mind in loving kindness meditation. And what you're doing is you're training your mind to be more loving, more kind. And through training your mind, then you can experience the results that in daily life, you can practice being more loving and kind. Because the meditation alone is great and doing the meditation is outstanding, but you gotta move the loving kindness into your daily practice where you're consistently practicing being loving and kind to all people doesn't mean that you're infatuated with people or you're kissing them or hugging them all the time. That's part of what we're going to talk about in chapter 14 
when we get to talking about true love, you know, what really is love. But don't think of love as romantic love. You know, think about what we're talking about here with loving kindness as this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you have a genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And that is the antidote that's going to remedy this anger, hatred, and ill will. Because as long as you've got that in the mind, then you're going to react in situations where you don't get what you want. You're going to react in situations with hostility and aggression. And when you react through your intention, speech, and actions, that's where you're going to start producing unwholesome gamma. And you're going to be damaging your relationships. And not only with the person that you're talking to, but other people around you are going to see you being hostile and aggressive with that person. And now it's like, whoa, I don't know if, if I'm comfortable being around this person because if he's yelling at her, then it's only a matter of time before he yells at me and, and becomes hostile and aggressive with me. So what you'll find is not only does the unenlightened mind push people out of your life directly and overtly, but anger and hatred and ill will has a way of pushing people out of your life because people choose to no longer associate with you because they're afraid of this anger and this hostility that they see kind of oozing out of the mind through your intention, speech, and actions. So the way that you get a handle on this is you develop a loving kindness meditation practice where now you can start practicing loving kindness meditation on an ongoing basis implement this into your meditation practice and then in daily life you practice loving kindness where you train the mind to be polite kind friendly and respectful to all beings around you without judgment and without wanting anything in return from them just being friendly and polite because it's the right thing to do and the more that you do this with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your neighbors and everyone around you, people will start associating certain qualities with you. And you'll see that people will be the same way with you. Whereas if you continue to harbor anger, hatred, aggression, resentment, hostility, and that's what people are going to see in you and that's what's going to return to you. But if you start practicing loving kindness meditation, cultivate this loving kindness in the mind and then practice this in daily life with more and more people around you, six months, a year, two years into this, what you're going to notice is more and more people will attribute these attributes of loving kindness and they will be loving and kind to you because you're always loving and kind to them. And that's what will return to you because of this natural law of gamma. And this is how you produce wholesome gamma as it relates to loving kindness. So let me pause here before we go any further and see if there's any questions that you guys have related to this second poison of anger, hatred, ill will. If you have questions in Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, you can put those into the comment section and our moderators, James and Manal, will see that and be able to get them asked during the class. And for those of you guys in Zoom, you can raise your hand electronically and ask any questions directly if you like. So like other parts of the path, would you say that loving kindness meditation tends to cultivate 
loving kindness and diminish the poison of anger gradually. Yes, all of these teachings are all gradual training, gradual practice and gradual progress. You can't just meditate once or one week or one month and eradicate hatred and anger. It's a gradual process. And not only does this meditation help you with eradicating any ill will or hostility you have towards others, but oftentimes we harbor negative self-talk in the mind. And this helps with that too. So if you're somebody who tends to walk around and kind of beat yourself up and kind of judge your own self with negativity, then this meditation is going to help to transform that as well. Because if you've got this constant voice in your head that's telling you all these negative things about your own self, then that's going to cause problems for you in life too. Because if you judge yourself and you look negatively upon your own self, then you're going to reflect that in your relationships with other people. So you need to transform that as well. And you'll see that as part of what we talk about today is you always start with yourself with loving kindness meditation. But even with that, James, it's still a gradual progression that there's this gradual degrading of negativity in the mind and you're transforming it with this loving kindness. And even if we may not be feeling the effects at first through meditation or through our actions in our daily lives, I suppose it's important to continue to push through with this as the effects will eventually come to us in our minds. Yeah, because oftentimes when people first learn this loving kindness meditation, I've had some people say, you know, within a week or two that they already are noticing a difference. But other people, you know, it might take a little bit longer. I know for me, it took me many sessions before I started really noticing any difference in the mind. And, and back then, I really didn't know what I was doing. So it seems like based on my practice of transforming the mind and now being able to teach this very directly, students will typically experience benefits pretty readily. I mean, it's not like an instant change, but they surely notice a difference within a few sessions. But, you know, if you're one, two, three sessions into this and you're like, eh, I didn't really feel it. I didn't really feel any loving kindness. That's not uncommon that be prepared that if your mind is got lots of anger, hatred, or aggression, or rage in the mind, it's like a brick wall. And, you know, chipping away at it with a chisel, it's going to take a while to knock that wall down. So don't be surprised if it takes a while. But what you do is you stay consistent and you stay dedicated to the practice. And over time, you will see gradual changes. And it's not just this meditation. That's why we call it a life practice, because you've got to have many different attributes of your life practice that you slowly build up. You build up your breathing mindfulness meditation first for a good four weeks, get really good at that. Then you add in some loving kindness afterwards. You also learn these Four Noble Truths, this Eightfold Path, and you're slowly building that up. You learn the five precepts and all these other good, wholesome teachings. You kind of slowly are building this house, so to speak, and then you got to have this really good foundation. And your meditation practice is the foundation so you've got to build this up slowly and you're going to see gradual changes. But 
you'll be able to see the changes. This isn't about doing a bunch of stuff, believing that it'll work, hoping it'll work, and then sometime, you know, 20 years from now or when you die, it's going to pay dividends. You should notice within the first few weeks, even some people, like I said, mentioned to me in the first few days, they can notice a difference as they're building up their life practice. Thanks, David. Those are all the questions we have at this moment. Okay, so let's just go through a few preliminary things related to understanding loving kindness meditation so that you can build up this practice because rather than just show you what to do, it's important to understand the why. The more you understand the why, the more successful you can be in your practice. So part of what I just shared with you is helping you to understand the why. The reason why we do loving kindness meditation is because the mind has anger, hatred, ill will, hostility, aggression, aversion. It wants to push all these painful feelings out of the way, creating this little perfect bubble that only allow people in your life that fit certain criteria that you judge them on. But the problem is, is that you can't control this bubble and people enter in and out of your life all the time. And if every time somebody doesn't meet the conditions that you deem appropriate and that you want in your life, and if your mind becomes angered and hostile, anytime somebody doesn't do something you want, then you're going to have a really rough road ahead. So what this practice is about is training your mind to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently and no longer kind of look out externally for certain conditions to be met and push people away that don't meet those conditions because you're going to end up pushing more and more and more people out of your way and eventually you won't have any friends you won't have anybody to spend time with because you've pushed everyone out of your life so if you change your mind through this path to enlightenment then you will notice that you'll be able to be more serene and more content more calm in all situations so let's be sure that we understand what loving kindness is. I, I mentioned it already previously, but let's just review it a little bit more closely. It's this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you have this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. This is completely eradicating any kind of irritation or frustration or I don't like this about that person, or I don't like the way they do their hair, I don't like the clothes they wear, I don't like the car they have, I don't like that they have the same name as me. I remember at one point in my life, I would enter into a room and if people introduced themselves and there was another David in the room, I immediately despised that person because it was like, that's my name. How could they be David, right? And I would actually have anger towards people that just had the same name as me, right? That's how defiled my mind was at one point. And you probably have certain pet peeves that we call them, right? That irritate you about certain people. Well, those things are all in your mind and you've got to get to the point where you don't judge others and you have this active goodwill, this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well, and you're not judging people on any particular criteria but you just accept people for who they are and as they are. This is unconditional love, which we're gonna talk about in about four or five weeks. This loving kindness, this meditation, as well as the practice of loving kindness is the antidote to the unwholesome root 
of anger, hatred, ill will. We call it the antidote or we call it the wholesome root because it's going to uproot this anger, hatred, ill will that's in the mind. So we're going to move out this hatred, anger, ill will, and we're going to be moving in this loving kindness. So this is part of the Eightfold Path of taking the right effort to eliminate unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities. And if you have mindfulness and awareness of mind, then when you are aware of this anger and hatred and ill will, this hostility, this aggression arise in the mind, you can take active steps to cut it off, abandon that unwholesome quality and arise the wholesome quality of loving kindness. We're going to also not only talk about this in chapter 14, but we're going to talk about it in chapter 13 as well, because this is part of the Brahma Viharas. I've mentioned before how the Buddhist teachings have this overlapping effect where you see him point to loving kindness and right intention as part of the Eightfold Path. You see him point to it as part of right speech. You see him point to it as part of the Brahma Viharas. You see him point to it at different times depending on what topic that he's talking about. And there's all these various challenges with the unenlightened mind and then there's this select amount of solutions. And the beauty here that the Buddha really consolidated for us is that you don't need to run out and learn a hundred different meditations because there's really these three main problems in the mind of craving, anger, and ignorance. So there's really only two meditations that you ever really need to learn. And because of that, you can make those practices really, really deep. And loving kindness meditation is one of those. So we'll talk about this in a few more chapters because just like the Buddha, we're kind of pulling back the layers one by one, helping you gain exposure more and more to all the various teachings of the Buddha. Let's look at some of the Buddha's words around loving kindness meditation. And he talked about it at different times. And I just grabbed a couple of various quotes that he shared, because remember, I'm not interested in you believing me about anything. I'm not interested in you believing that the Buddha taught meditation or that he taught loving kindness meditation or that he taught loving kindness meditation to eliminate ill will. Don't even believe me about that. So let's look at his exact words of what did he say related to this topic. Here, this first quote, he's talking to his son, Rahula. He says, Rahula, develop meditation on loving kindness. For when you develop meditation on loving kindness, any ill will will be abandoned. It doesn't get any clearer than that, right? This is what I've been sharing with you, that loving kindness meditation is the antidote for anger, hatred, ill will. Well, here's the Buddha's words directly from the Pali Canon, the source of his teachings that share with you exactly that, that that's what it's being used for. And he's talking to his son, Rahula, which one of the things that people are oftentimes confused about is they think that the Buddha left his family and actually never returned. But he did. He returned back to the area that his father's palace was in and his son and his wife and his stepmother and cousins and different people ordained with him and undertook training with him. So here you can see not only what the Buddha taught about 
meditation and loving kindness and ill will, but you can see that he actually did talk to his son and his son was part of his community and grew up learning the teachings from his dad. And then here's another short little quote where he says, loving kindness should be developed to abandon ill will. So this is the loving kindness outside of meditation. The first quote is all about meditation and developing loving kindness in meditation. The second quote is all about practicing loving kindness outside of meditation. And there's books that are going to be coming out soon that I'm publishing that has the full text of these. But for these classes, I just kind of pull out a little snippet here and there to help you see some of the teachings that the Buddha shared. So you don't have to believe what I'm sharing with you, but you can see it for yourself. And the books that I'm going to be publishing are going to have this in there as well. So now let's go to the next thing, which is a little bit more of the Buddha's words as he's actually talking about kind of the value or the importance of loving kindness meditation. Not just that we should do it and that it abandons ill will, but this particular teaching is talking about how important it is. So let me read this one to you. Monks, if someone were to give away a hundred pots of food as charity in the morning, a hundred pots of food as charity at noon, and a hundred pots of food as charity in the evening, and if someone else were to develop a mind of loving kindness, even for the time it takes to pull a cow's udder, either in the morning, at noon, or in the evening, this would be more fruitful than the former. Therefore, monks, you should train yourselves thus. We will develop and cultivate the liberation of mind by loving kindness. Make it our vehicle. Make it our basis. Stabilize it. Exercise ourselves in it and fully perfect it. Thus should you train yourselves. So let's break this down a little bit. This first paragraph, he's talking about somebody giving out 300 meals of food or actually pots of food, not just meals, but within a pot, there's going to be multiple meals. So this could be 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 meals that someone's giving out in the morning, in the afternoon, and in the evening. And that's a practice of generosity. And generosity is really important that we give and we share. And he used to live off of the generous donations of people in the community. They would give him food and clothing and shelter and places to stay. So that was really important to his life and to his practice. But here he's saying, if somebody gives away all this food in one day, but somebody else were to just develop loving kindness for the time that it takes to pull a cow's udder, this is how you milk cows. And remember, he's talking in ways that the vast majority of the people will understand. So in that lifetime, many people understood what a cow's udder was because they were farmers. And many people understood how to milk a cow. Nowadays, I'm not sure how many people know that, but basically it takes you all of about a second or two to pull a cow's udder to get a little bit of milk out, right? So he's saying, if somebody develops loving kindness for even a second or two, 
in the morning or at afternoon or in the evening, that is more fruitful. That is more beneficial than somebody who's gone to all this trouble to put together all this food three times in a day. So that's how important and how beneficial developing loving kindness is, is that he views that as that one or two seconds of developing loving kindness more important than all of those hours upon hours upon hours to prepare that food. Because that would take a really long time to prepare a hundred pots of food three times in one day. And it would be more effort than what we would take today because today we would go to the store buy a bunch of things prepare a bunch of food it would still take us quite a long period of time but during the buddha's lifetime they didn't go to the store and buy these things they went out into the fields and harvested this stuff and multiple fields and bringing this stuff back and gathering this stuff so this is how important that the buddha prioritized loving kindness in developing loving kindness in the mind above all of this other stuff. Then this second paragraph, he's talking about using loving kindness to liberate the mind. Well, craving anger and ignorance are defilements of the mind. They are pollution of the mind. That is what's keeping the mind trapped in the unenlightened state. Liberation is freedom of mind and the mind is free from these defilements or from these taints or this pollution of the mind we also call these fetters in some cases the 10 fetters which is like a ball and chain or a shackle around your ankle keeping you trapped in the unenlightened state and keeping you trapped in this cycle of rebirth so someone's mind who is liberated is free from craving anger and ignorance. It's free from these 10 fetters, this ball and chain that's keeping the mind trapped and keeping the being trapped in the unenlightened state and in the cycle of rebirth. So cultivating loving kindness leads to liberation or freedom in the mind. And he says, make it our vehicle, make it our basis, stabilize it, right? Exercise ourselves in it fully perfected. This is like ensure that loving kindness is permeating in the mind. And of course, you've got to find that middle, right? If you were lackluster and lackadaisical and never practiced loving kindness, that wouldn't be helpful. But if you also held it so tightly that you were just trying to give, 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 give so much all the time, you would be depleted. So you've got to find that middle where you're practicing loving kindness and doing what the Buddha talks about here, stabilize it, make it your basis and exercise yourself in it, fully perfect it, where you're always practicing loving kindness and you're never allowing anger, hatred, ill will, hostility, aggression to arise in the mind. And that's where that gradual training comes in, James, that you can't just snap your fingers and make this happen it's going to need to be a gradual progression in order to be able to really accomplish this. So let me pause here and see if you guys have any questions on the Buddha's words before I actually teach you the loving kindness meditation and then we do it together as a group. Well, David, this is an extremely powerful quote about the power of loving kindness. And I was just wondering if you can expand on why it is that loving kindness 
just for a few seconds can be more fruitful than what the Buddha was referring to in creating the meals for others. Like what is it about it and its effects that make it so traumatic? Yeah, it's the fact that anger, hatred, and ill will is so detrimental to your life. That's why antidoting it with loving kindness is so fruitful because any kind of anger, hatred, ill will, resentment, aggression, hostility that you have in your life, whether it's towards yourself, towards your life partner, your children, your neighbors, your anybody in your life, it's going to cause you problems. And it is causing you problems hand over hand over hand because you can't reside peacefully with all beings. You are being hateful or lesser versions of that, even annoyance or irritated or frustrated. And that is causing roughness in your relationships. And you can experience this liberation where your mind is free from that pollution and that defilement, that roughness in the mind. And you can experience this brightness and this brilliance of the enlightened mind where you just get along with everybody and you're not mad at anybody and you don't judge anybody and you just can reside in harmony with all beings. So because anger, hatred, ill will is so detrimental, that's why loving kindness is so fruitful. And I suppose that a mind of loving kindness would have a positive impact on the world such that the pure mind of loving kindness would create situations such as giving to the hungry and things of that nature. Whereas just because one is giving to the hungry doesn't necessarily mean that they have the pure mind of loving kindness. I agree with that, James. If you're just giving, giving, giving and donating all the time, but then you go outside and you're hateful to people, then you haven't really improved your practice that significantly. It's better to stop being hateful to people. And then as you say, as you do that and you cultivate loving kindness, the generosity will come right behind that. Thank you. That's all we have this time. Okay. So let's talk about loving kindness meditation itself, and then we'll actually do a session together. So the way that I suggest that people do loving kindness meditation is that you first start with breathing mindfulness meditation as I teach in other classes where you basically focus the mind on the breath and just cut off and let go any thoughts or feelings or perceptions that come to mind. If the mind goes to the past or the future or any feelings or thoughts come into the mind, you don't judge them, you don't label them, you just cut them off let them go and focus the mind on the breath. This is breathing mindfulness meditation and it helps to clear the mind, bring the mind into the present moment, eliminate craving, desire, attachment, and arise this mindfulness or awareness of mind. And this is how you kind of lead in your meditation. So you might do that for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, up to you how long you do that for you, but do that for a period of time. Then start with your loving kindness meditation. After your loving kindness meditation, then finish up with breathing mindfulness meditation, kind of at the end, another kind of five minutes, 10 minutes, however long you'd like to put at the end, just to kind of clear the mind. Because oftentimes in loving kindness meditation, you're including people who you have 
anger or hatred or ill will towards so that can kind of surface in the mind as you're doing loving kindness meditation so you need that breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside to kind of clear the mind out because sometimes people say when they don't do that they actually finish their meditation more angry than when they started it and that's not uncommon because you're kind of allowing these feelings to surface and then you're cutting them off and, and letting them go rather than just keeping them buried. Because what people are doing now is they might bury or repress their anger. What this practice that I'm sharing with you is going to do is it's going to bring it up to the surface, but then you're going to be able to clear it out and let it go so that it's no longer buried deep inside the mind and you can eliminate this pollution from the mind that's plaguing the mind and affecting your intention, speech, and actions. So what we're going to do today is we're going to start with breathing mindfulness, go into loving kindness, and then finish up with some breathing mindfulness. Well, during the portion of time where we're doing the loving kindness meditation, I'm going to be saying some affirmations out loud. And these affirmations that I say you repeat them in the mind. And this is how you're cultivating this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, is you're repeating this affirmation in the mind on the out breath. And you're creating these rings. The first set of phrases is going to be, may I be peaceful. And then out breath. And you're gonna breathe in. May I be safe on the second phrase, and then may I be well, and then may I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Because you need to start with your own mind in order to be able to have loving kindness for others. You need to have it for yourself first. Then we're going to make additional rings beyond that. And here I've just got three simple rings to start with is what you might start with is may we be peaceful, meaning the people that are meditating with you or your family or your friends, depending on how you look at that. May we be peaceful. May we be safe. May we be well. May we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. And then you eventually get to the last ring where it's may all beings be peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentedness. You can actually create this meditation with a bit of creativity and create as many rings as you like. This is a very simple one that is just to get people started. But in reality, you're probably going to need more like 5, 6, 8, 10, 12 rings. And you're going to need to include different groups of people. And you can include people based on relationships. So you can start with may I, may my wife or husband or partner, may my children, may my parents, may my siblings, may my neighbors, may my coworkers, right? And you can go that way. Or you can say, may everyone in my neighborhood, may everyone in my town, my county, my state, my country, the whole world, right? You can do it geography wise. Some people do it in terms of, you know, people to the north, people to the south, people to the east, to the west, people below, people above, things like this. These affirmations are meant to change your mind, the condition of your mind. It's not to change other people. 
So one of the things that you might end up doing with your rings is if you have certain people that you know you have anger towards, you know you have challenges and difficulties with, is include them in your meditation so that you develop loving kindness for that person. You're not changing them, you're changing your mind. So now, say a week or two or three or four goes by and you've included them in your meditation and you're cultivating this active goodwill towards this person that you have harbored anger towards. Now, when you're around that person or you talk to that person on the phone or what have you, or you send that person an email, you're gonna be in a better position mentally because you've spent a week or two or three training the mind to cultivate this active goodwill towards these people that you're having challenges with. So you might end up having certain people in your meditation for three or four weeks, and then after you cultivate loving kindness for them, maybe you don't need to include them anymore. Maybe it's other people, right? So you kind of adjust this meditation based on what's going on in your life and everybody's life is a little bit different. So what I'm doing in these classes is just giving you some examples of ways that you can do this meditation, but you have to customize it for your mind and the condition of your mind. Breathing mindfulness meditation, it's the same for everybody. Everybody does that exactly the same. In terms of the way that I teach it, it's essentially the same thing, what you're doing with the mind. Your body might be different, you know, your body position's different, but in terms of what you're doing with the mind, everybody's focusing on the breath, right? And you're breathing in and breathing out. That's the same. But with loving kindness meditation, it's all going to be based on the needs of your mind and what's going on in your life. And maybe you're going through some hard times with your life partner or with your children or other people in your life. And you're harboring anger or frustration or hostility towards these people, even resentment. It may even be people that you haven't seen for 10, 15, 20 years, and you will never see them ever again in your life. But they did something 15, 20 years ago, and your mind is still harboring resentment for them. That is going to hinder you from attaining enlightenment. So you've got to let that go. And breathing mindfulness meditation is going to help you let that go. But loving kindness meditation is going to help you to cultivate this active goodwill. Doesn't mean you rush back and go have a relationship with this person, but it means you let go of this anger that you're holding on to because anger that you're holding on to in the mind or resentment, it's only harming you. It's only going to harm you. It's not going to harm others at this point, especially if you haven't seen this person for so long. So you've got to eradicate it from your mind. And that's what loving kindness meditation does for us. And then after meditation, doing this daily as part of your meditation practice, then when you go out in the world, you practice being loving and kind, being polite, friendly, respectful to all people. And this meditation is kind of like filling up your gas tank. So then when you go out into the world, then you can practice having loving kindness. And eventually you get to the point where the mind is permeating and filled with so much loving kindness that it never depletes, that you're just have transformed the mind where there's no longer any hatred, anger, ill will whatsoever. And it's just 
always got loving kindness. And when you go out into the world or when you interact with people, that you've always are practicing being polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And the mind is permanently eradicated anger, hatred, and ill will, and it's replaced it with this loving kindness. And that's where the mind becomes closer and closer to enlightenment because it's eradicated the defilement of anger, hatred, and ill will. So let me see if you guys have any questions on loving kindness meditation, how we do it, and then we'll actually do our session together. It looks like there are no questions this time, David, so it looks like we're ready to go into meditation. Okay, one thing I would like to say is that as I give you guys guidance in the meditation, I'm going to be speaking the affirmations out loud. But if I was doing this by myself, I wouldn't do that. I would just do it quietly because that's how I do loving kindness meditation. It doesn't mean you can't say it out loud. It just means that I normally would do it quietly in the mind. So while I'm guiding you guys, I say it out loud to kind of prompt you to remember to say these phrases. But when you choose to do this on your own, you may choose to just do it quietly in the mind. And that can really help produce the loving kindness and cultivate it in the mind. But that's a personal choice for yourself. So let's go ahead and get started with our meditation. Usually we do this in the seated position, but you can also do it in the lying or standing position as well. You would like to get your lower body comfortable, maybe on the floor or in a chair where if you're on the floor, you probably put some cushions under your rear, lessen the angle at your hips, your knees, and your ankles. If you're in a chair, you might cross your ankles or put your feet flat on the floor, up to you. It's not about everybody doing it exactly the same way. It's about finding what works best for you. Then your body should be erect so that your spine has the muscles engaged, not too rigid, but not laxed and relaxed either, nice and erect. This keeps the attentiveness and alertness in the mind so you can actively train it. The hands and the arms, the right hand should be over top of the left with the thumbs together and then put that in your lap. And now just close your eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here we're going to just establish Breathing mindfulness meditation. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. Your breath doesn't need to be synced up to my guidance. These are just cues just to remind you to breathe in and out. Just sit here with the breath for a moment. I'm going to do some chanting and then come back with some guidance. Ara-hang-sam-ho-to-em-ha-ka-wa-ho-tang-ha-ka-wan-hang-api-wa-te-ya-mi 
Try to control it. Just take a nice, steady, consistent breath, experiencing the full breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. As the mind goes to the past or the future, where there's any thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, don't try to figure out why. Don't label it. Don't judge it. Just cut it off. Let it go and bring the mind to the breath, fixating the mind on the sound or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This 
is the present moment. Breathing in. Fixate the mind on the sound of the breath or the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the present moment. Anytime you're aware that the mind isn't on the breath, cut it off, let it go. Bring the mind back to the breath. Focus only on the breath.
Breathing in and out. Continuing to stay focused on the breath. Breathing in and out. Now you're going to add loving kindness meditation. Whenever you get to the out breath, repeat this affirmation as you're breathing out. May I be peaceful. Be safe. May I be well. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Repeating this in the mind, may we be peaceful. May we be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those who are close with me be peaceful. safe. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. associates be peaceful may they be safe be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those 
whom I've never met, be peaceful. safe. free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. discontentedness and the suffering it causes. to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, 
cutting off anything that arises in the mind.
like to gradually come out of meditation we can open things up to any questions that you guys have regarding meditation or anything that you guys would like to discuss along this path to enlightenment and just as a reminder for anyone who's joined us you can ask your questions by putting those into the comment section of facebook youtube or zoom and then in zoom you can raise your hand electronically to ask any questions directly I was pondering about the role that faith or belief can have in loving kindness meditation because generally this is an evidence-based practice, but can having faith that loving kindness meditation is going to cultivate loving kindness in us, assist us in our meditation? Depends on how you define faith. I look at faith as belief, so I don't use the word faith. I use the word confidence. If someone has confidence in the Buddha, in his teachings, in the community of practitioners, 
confidence in your teacher, confidence in your own ability to attain enlightenment, then that is what's going to help you on this path because it eradicates doubt. And if you have doubt that the Buddha was actually enlightened or not, and you're just like, I don't know about this guy, the Buddha, you know, like, you know, there's all these statues and he's always sitting in meditation and did he really exist? You know, if there's doubt, and and usually when people first join this path, there's a, a certain amount of healthy doubt that I would call. And then, you know, if people have a lot of doubt about his teachings or the community or your teacher who's actually sharing the teachings with you, or doubting your own ability to transform the mind, then this is going to erode your confidence. And you've got to maintain that confidence that, yes, I feel that this man, Gautama Buddha, taught because obviously there's temples everywhere, there's monks everywhere, his teachings are everywhere. They show up not only in Buddhist communities, but even in non-Buddhist communities, people are adopting his teachings of meditation and These things are even being integrated into school systems in the UK, for example. Knowing that you hear some of his teachings, you see some of his quotes, you're like, whoa, that seems pretty right on. Like what I would say sounds reasonable. So even though you might have a little bit of skepticism or you're not quite sure, you don't know all the teachings yet, there can be a little bit of healthy doubt there that kind of inspires you and motivates you to keep learning. But at some point, you should have put together enough of the teachings that you see progress in your practice in terms of the condition of the mind and your life, that confidence just keeps growing and growing and growing in the Buddha, in his teachings, in the community, in your actual teacher who you're learning with, and your own ability to do this. So if you have that confidence in loving kindness meditation and that this is in fact working to help you, then that can be really helpful for you. But you've got to see the truth for yourself. You've got to see that it's working. You can't just read a book and immediately have confidence. You've got to try it out, like in a laboratory. And that's where you build your confidence. And it's very important to point out that as we walk on this path and we see the teachings play out in the world, that it only inspires and encourages our practice and builds that confidence which can just further our practice yeah the more you understand the teachings the more you'll see them everywhere around you and the buddha said this as he said you know one who sees the teachings sees me meaning if you've really been diligent and dedicated to learning these teachings and you understand them deeply when you look around in the world you will see them everywhere whether it's covid whether it's people getting discontent because they can't go outside and they're locked down, whether it's road rage, whether it's generosity, and by someone practicing generosity, it uh, produces wholesome results. By someone being kind, then kindness comes back to you. The more that you learn these teachings, you will see them everywhere around you happening all the time. And this is how you can get to the point where you have no doubt whatsoever that this man lived, that he was enlightened, that his teachings will lead you to enlightenment. There's a community of practitioners throughout the world that can help you and guide you. Your teacher can help you, your own ability. You can do this. So the more you dive into these teachings and investigate them, the more you should start seeing them everywhere around you. 
Absolutely, David. I'm very grateful for having started this path in 2020 and seeing so many of the teachings playing out all across the world in so many different ways. But they're playing out every day, regardless of what year it is. Exactly. That's the natural law of karma. And, you know, the more that you understand these teachings, there's nothing that you don't understand. You know, whether it's, you know, somebody drops a glass and it breaks and they start crying or being upset. Do you understand exactly why? Because they're attached to the glass or, you know, maybe it scared them because they are fearful or, or, you know, there's all these different reasons, but you know, it's craving desire attachment. You know that that's why, right? And, you know, whether it's COVID, you can look at the teachings and see exactly that. Or if it's a politician who is all of a sudden, Uh, on the news and having all kinds of problems with people attacking them. Well, you can look at their life and they've been doing nothing but attacking people their whole life with disparaging gossip, slander, deceit. And now you see it's coming back to them. You see the natural law of gamma playing out every single day. And there's nothing that doesn't happen that you don't understand. And this is where you get real clarity and peace of mind because you just understand exactly why everything's happening. And it no longer causes you any discontentedness. And you no longer are interested in going out and changing the world because you know you can't. The natural laws of existence are the natural laws of existence. And you can't change the world. All you can do is understand these natural laws and then gain that wisdom so that when you look at the world, you completely understand why everything's happening the way it is. Well, thank you, David. That seems to be all the questions we have. And thanks once again for your guidance. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you and Manal and everyone else. Thank you guys for moderating. Thank you guys for joining. Thank you guys for deciding that learning and practicing these teachings is important and seeing that it's improving your own life and your own practice. So, on Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 10 of this book, Developing a Life Practice, which is all about what is merit. We just talked about gamma, so now we're going to be talking about merit. And then the week after that on Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 11, which is meditation, developing your practice. We're going to spend a whole lot of time going into a lot of detail about meditation specifically on Sunday. So we've got those two coming up over the next two Sundays. And then next Wednesday, we're going to do breathing mindfulness meditation. And we're going to work on our practice and open up to any questions that you guys have. I won't spend as much time as I did last week going through breathing mindfulness meditation. We'll just kind of go right into breathing mindfulness meditation on Wednesday. So enjoy the rest of your day. Continue with your meditation practice. Continue learning and practicing the Eightfold Path because it's the Eightfold Path that's going to help you to improve the condition of the mind and the condition of your life. And that is the path to enlightenment. That is the path to eliminate discontentedness of the mind where the mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. So until next time, have a lovely day. We'll see you then. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. 
Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.